you have to set aside what you originally wanted to do and pivot at least for a short time so that you are creating that buzz about your business, about who you are. If the customers are not aware of all the things that I can do, I can actually sway their decision. I have a catering that's coming up and initially they would tell me, oh, can we have sandwiches? The first two times we did the same sandwiches. And the third time I said, can I suggest something else? So we did something different. And then the last time they basically said, I'm going to leave the choice up to you. Once your customers understand what you can do, they just give you a criteria and then leave it up to you, like what you can provide. Yeah, it's all about relationship building. Hello, Conrad's Tribe. Welcome back to season six. We're here for episode 10. I can't believe this season is almost over. Today, we're going to be talking with CPG founder and Malaysian Indian American <laughs> Geetha Jayaraman. Thank you. I know that's we have a lot of explaining to do on that one. <laughs> Thanks, Gabby. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited. I very much appreciate that you are willing to record this over again. I was like, I got to do this again because we had recorded a few months ago and I'm like, Kipa has moved up since then. We need an update. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, things have uh, evolved, I guess. You find your direction based on what's happening. And having lived in Houston just for a few years, I'm still learning where my customer base is, what I can do to service them. You know, so it's it's been beyond challenging, even though there is a pretty large vegan community here. There is still a lot of skepticism and a lot of it is on the corporate side. Yeah, it might get easier now because it seems like more people are paying attention to that. Netflix just had a series called Blue Zone. Yes. It was very interesting, but I think a lot more people are, are starting to pay attention to hmm, what I put in my body actually matters. Yeah, <laughs> so there is there is a trend, you know, as we go out and I think the more events and pop-ups that we do, not just go to a networking meeting. Networking meetings are good to just make connections, but I think the aha moment happens when you actually, somebody tastes your food and you can go into that next level of like talking to them about what you do that's different. You have to set aside what you originally wanted to do and pivot at least for a short time so that you are creating that buzz about your business, about who you are. If the customers are not aware of all the things that I can do, I can actually sway their decision. For example, I have a catering that's coming up. And initially, they would tell me, oh, can we have sandwiches? The first two times, we did the same sandwiches. And the third time, I said, can I suggest something else? You know, so we did something different. And then the last time, they basically said, I'm going to leave the choice up to you. Once your customers understand what you can do, they just give you a criteria and then leave it up to you, like what you know you can provide. Yeah, it's all about relationship building and trusting you, you know? So if you're trying to do that thing in there, guys, it will come. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah, it takes time, <laughs> but it's coming. <laughs> How can we do this at home? Because now the prices of groceries are going way up. Yeah. So how can you make sure you still have a nutrient-dense meal on a budget? 
I think the perception is vegetables are expensive to consume. There are lots of components that you can add, simple things that you can add. There are lots of different kinds of beans and whole grain. Quinoa is protein rich. Add some veggies, do a stir fry. So you don't need a lot of vegetables in it. You just need things to balance out. There is lentils, legumes, you know, you beans. They are uh, very nutritious. They are low calorie. You can make stews with that. Add some vegetables. It's going to fill you up very fast and keep you full for a long time. Let's take a simple example, right? You buy radish, turnip, carrots, you know, you have all these carrot tops. How many times do you see people actually just twist that and throw it away? They do have a lot of nutrients. You can make pestos and stir fries with that. The carrot tops, it's hard to make like a stir fry, but I actually substitute the radish greens and turnip greens instead of a spinach. I had one sweet potato that was growing some shoots and I'm like, I'm just going to plant it. Now I have a lot of sweet potato and sweet potato leaves are quite nutritious too. So I can just nip off a lot of them and substitute for spinach. I grew up as a vegetarian. Turning into a vegan in some ways was challenging because I couldn't give up my yogurt. That was my go-to, right? If you go and buy almond milk and cashew milk and all these milks, they're pretty expensive, but think about it, right? There's also a lot of water that's added to those containers and maybe preservatives because they need to have a shelf life. It's quite easy to make things at home. You just need to plan a little bit, right? Almonds, yes, it's a little tricky because you need to soak the almonds, put it to soften so you can get as much of the almond milk as possible. But after I make the almond milk, there's always a little bit of the leftover and I would dehydrate it and save it as crumbs, powder it, save it as my almond meal. And if I bake something, I can sprinkle that as a crumb topping. That's a gluten-free crumb topping. Yes, it's not, not free, but there goes my zero waste to it. If you buy your carrots and potatoes from your local farmer who's using organic methods, I would just clean them, really soak them, clean them, brush them. And I don't peel the carrots and potatoes. That's one way of stretching what you're buying, right? You're throwing chunks of it away when they can be used. So if you pay for a vegetable by using the most out of it, you can actually stretch the quantity that you're buying and use it in different ways. Your phone is used as a camera, note-taking, posting on social media. You're using the same thing for many different things. The same thing applies here. So where did you learn all of this, Geeta? This is this wealth of knowledge. I know it's not like an overnight thing. Did you learn it from your mom? Did you learn it later on? So yeah, my, my parents were very into the as minimal waste as possible, always. They were very conscious about throwing away food food wastage, you know. The funny thing is we had a market that we went to. It's essentially a market where you have produce vendors and meat vendors, all these vendors in one central location. We went there once a week because it was quite far and you dealt directly with farmers. So I grew up with this concept of like going to this market, dealing directly with the farmers, buying vegetables. My mom would plan out what she wants to make for the whole week. 
She doesn't know what vegetables are there, even though she gives us a list. Sometimes you don't get what you're looking for. We would get what we can. And she would actually just plan that for the week. When, you know, Saturday comes, it's like, yeah, I scraps up this a little bit and that a little bit in, in his shop, you know. And again, Sunday we went to the market. So here we go again. We have a fresh batch of vegetables. So it's all about a little bit planning. And I know it's different. My mom did go to work. She stayed home. And so it was easier for her to do that in my corporate jobs. It was hard for me to think and plan that much ahead of time. But I had to because I was raising two kids. I had a job. I commuted almost an hour away. My husband was hardly around. So I had no choice but to plan. I would go major farmer's market shopping, grocery shopping once a week, stock up. I don't know how much of it I was going to use, but the fact that I had all that at hand means I could whip up something for lunch and dinner. It got to a point where they would just not eat any lunch, come home, and that was their lunch. And then they would have dinner and then a supper because they had homework to do. I had to plan and cook a lot of food because when they came home, they needed food. And I taught them how to cook so that as long as I had the raw ingredients, they could just make things, you know, themselves if they felt like. Let's talk about that a little bit, because in a lot of cultures, the boys don't learn how to cook. Yeah, including mine. It's a essential skill to learn. Otherwise, when you don't have a choice, you're going to end up eating junk, especially if they are in school and they want to stretch their dollars. The best way to do it is to learn to cook for yourself, right? I mean, you don't need to be a gourmet chef, but do enough things to satisfy. Okay, I don't want to eat out today. I can make something. So I felt that it was a essential skill for them to learn, not to mention laundry, cleaning the house, cleaning the bathrooms, everything. Fresh from the get-go, I taught them what I was taught, which is minimizing waste and trying to do things to take care of yourself. You know, life is so fast-paced and there are millions of people who literally don't have the time to plan out a meal and cook and buy all these ingredients. And if they're so busy, sometimes they're going to say, I don't have time to really stock up on all this because my vegetables are going to go bad. I think we need to provide more options, healthier options with lots of different varieties so that people feel like, hey, I can eat this two or three times a week and I'll cook one day a week and I'm going to eat something else a couple of times a week. You know, if you don't plan, you'll end up spending a lot of money. And there are lots of people who don't have the time nor the skills to do the cooking themselves. So they are dependent on going out to eat or buying ready-to-eat meals, you know. But that's a cost you have to take into consideration. Oh my God, that cost, let's say $15. It's not just the cost of that ingredient. It's the time and it's all the other things that go into making that, the packaging, all that, the distribution, all that that goes into that product to get it to a store that is convenient for you. But imagine this, guys. You're a couple you're both working outside the house. You're both buying lunch outside every single day, $10 each for five days a week. That's $100 right there. 
Plus, maybe you're like, oh, maybe we could go do Sunday brunch or whatever. Easily $50. You spent $150 just on food that week. But then you talk about your breakfast, you know, your coffee. In the morning, you're spending four or five bucks on a cup of coffee. Yeah, let's add in the breakfast, the, the Starbucks coffee and the little bagel or whatever you get. That's another $10 for each of you. So it's another mm -hmm. hundred. Then you're like, oh, we're so tired. We're not going to make dinner. You order something. That's another maybe 15 or 20 because they got to deliver it to you. <laughs> so you're easily looking at almost $300 for that week because you didn't have the time to cook your food. You don't have time every single day, but my husband and I have gotten to the point where we cook most days and we'll cook a lot at the same time. And now we have our food budget down to maybe like 60 or $70 a week because we're cooking and we're learning new stuff. Well, I mean, I think the good thing is when you do cook, make that extra. And I do that too, because if I'm really busy on some days and I I'm tired after a long day, especially when I make my chips production. It's an exhausting, it's an exhausting chore all day on your feet at a very fast pace. So I don't feel like cooking when I come home. So this is why I have that extra food that I can dig into without having to actually spend time cooking. Yeah, that's a perfect segue into the chips. So if you haven't figured it out already, Kiva has a CPT business. The whole business is called Spoon and Sprout. And the chips part of the business is grab them snacks. You have seven flavors. What goes behind getting it from the fresh plantain to the bag on the shelf? What's the process? Oh, it's <laughs> a logistical, it's a logistical maze to nightmare to get the product done. We are dependent on plantain supplier. And sometimes they don't get what they even ask for. And they have contracts with these big box stores to supply X quantity every shipment. We start our planning like early in the week and call our distributor and ask, when is it coming? Because we need like the super green, green, green plantain, not a speck of ripeness in the plantain. So we start calling like Monday, Tuesday, if we want to do a production on Sunday to find what their trajectory is, what their shipment is and when they're going to get it. And then we're like, okay, we need X number of cases, send it aside. But once we get it, we now have to go to the whole planning, which is peel the plantains. It takes a lot of time. So we try to pre-peel it. So we're not spending an hour and a half trying to peel all the plantains before we do a, do a production, right? We want to get there, get the chips done. Once we peel the plantains, we now have to make all the spices, plan out what flavors you want to make. Seven flavors is a lot to manage. And some of the flavors are custom blends. Like my black pepper, I dry roast it and grind it before every batch. My chili garlic is my custom blend. My Cajun is my custom blend. And before I even go to make that spice mix, I have to make sure that I have all the inventory of the spices. But that's a whole different, you know, supply chain issue, right? I got a plan way ahead and I'm buying in bulk. So me as a small business, yes, I am bringing in revenue, but I also buy things in bulk. So chunks of money goes towards that. There's not a lot left because I have to pay for my ingredients before they will even ship it out. And that's the world we live in now. Coming back to the plantains. Once we make 
the chips. We have planned how much we want to make. And we're never right about this because we never know how much yield the plantains will be. Each case of plantains is 50 pounds of green, green plantains. When we are done peeling, we get maybe somewhere between 26 and 30 pounds. So you've already lost that 20 pounds in the peel. Now, when we are done frying, we're left with somewhere between 13 and 15 pounds of finished product. But wait, not all of that can be packed and sold because there are broken pieces that are too small. So now we pack everything and we'll end up with maybe a pound of pieces. We take out the little bigger pieces and set it aside for sampling when we give the stores for sampling. And then we have to package it based on the orders we get, deliver it or ship it. We have Tunisia Foods that is a Middle Eastern grocery store. The one store is 55,000 square feet. And then there's one in the downtown area. They actually are doing quite well. We just got a reorder on the chips. So we did a tasting there. Wow. Yeah. Getting into Phoenicia market is a really big deal. They're like the Middle Eastern Whole Foods down there. Yeah. They're, they're like, I mean, if you go there on a Saturday or Sunday, the place is jam packed. There's even a place where they make their own pita breads and there's like a conveyor belt with all the pita bread coming down and it gets packed. People will buy a whole cart of pita breads. <laughs> you already mentioned a little bit about some of the less glamorous parts of being a business owner. You have the cash flow of the suppliers. How do you deal with managing your energy level? Sometimes you mentioned before in the past, you've had 18 hours, seven day a week type thing. How are you managing now? It's adrenaline. When you have orders, you go. <laughs> you don't have a choice. Like this week is busy, right? I just delivered all my meals and the store orders yesterday. I have a pop-up that's coming up on Sunday. I went through a program at University of Houston called uh, Sure, which is meant for entrepreneurs, people who are wanting to start a business, people who are in business, who want to grow their business. It's a 10, 12-week program. It's completely free. You have to apply for it and get accepted. But they bring in guest speakers to talk about sales and marketing and all that, you know. And it's a very rigorous 10-week program. So every week you keep doing one component of your business plan. And then there's a whole graduation ceremony. So I went through the program. I found it very, very useful. They run a program twice a year, one in the spring, one in the fall. So I reached out to the professor and I said, is there an opportunity for me to cater? And she said, yes. You know, so I catered last spring. The entrepreneurs, the students who volunteered to be part of helping out, and then the staff, the guests, everybody, you probably have somewhere between 130 and 150 people per cohort. We catered for the vegans and vegetarians only when I lived in New York. I had no problem people who were not vegans or vegetarians ordering a completely vegan meal. But here, I think they're very mindful about, hey, there are lots of people who are more, more meat eaters, so I'm only going to order this for vegans and vegetarians. So yeah, we had about 50 people every week and we have about the same quantity this time. So we're going to start that on Monday. So it'll go on every Monday for 10 to 12 weeks. And then we have another catering next Thursday in between I have my meals for the stores. I don't have time to like say I'm tired. I just have to keep going. When things slow down a little bit, then we will 
take a break, you know. But before I finish all that, I got to start planning on my chips production because once I fulfill the order for Phoenicia, I'm going to be down to almost no chips inventory. I know for some of you with married a nine to five, they're thinking, what? You don't have any time? It's like, no, when you have a business, what you're doing is a whole bunch of sprints with some breaks. We work really, really hard. Take a break. Break really, really hard again. <laughs> you said we a few times. Who is it that's helping you in the kitchen? Ah, my husband. My husband, who is, uh, who calls himself the chief tasting officer. I mean, he takes care of a lot of the logistics side of it, like the purchasing, packaging things. He takes care of a lot of that. He'll help me in the kitchens. He helps a lot more in the chips because you need two people. It's such a fast-paced. It's like going at 100 miles an hour for four hours. It's exhausting, you know, so you need two people. But even then, both of us going at that pace to make somewhere between 30 and 45 pounds of chips every time. I don't do it on a weekday. There are other people using the kitchen. We try to do the chip productions on Sundays because we need like eight hours stretch of time. But once you have your own space, that becomes easier. We walked away from a space because I don't think the terms, I could agree to the terms that they were, um, that they were not willing to negotiate. I was getting into that desperate situation and I was willing to flex and bend. But at some point you have to take that step back and think, wait a minute, is this really the right thing to do and it's okay to say it's not going to work and walk away because I can only hope that when one door closes the other one opens it might take some time but we're going to get there and that's an excellent reminder even Steve Jobs said that focus is about saying no sometimes it's like no <laughs> saying no is okay you come from a culture of you can't say no. You have to say yes to everything because people will judge you when you say no, that you're rude or arrogant. And my parents were that way. They, they've never said no to anything and they raised you a certain way. So when you run your own business, you can't, you can't live like that because you can't, it doesn't make sense to say yes to everything. And in spite of saying yes, it doesn't mean it's going to work out. And maybe when you said no, it was something that will work out. You know, you don't know the answer to that. In accounting, we have the T system, right? So you have the debits and credits. So I would do the pros and cons every single time and say, okay, if my pros outweigh my cons to a greater extent, then I'm willing to take some risk. But if there's a lot of negatives to it, why would I want to do it? That is an excellent final point. So I think we're going to stop right there. But Geetha, can you tell us where we can find Spoon and Sprout and it's all you online? I've said it once before and I'll say it again. You need to write a cookbook, but that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> so we have our website, spoonandsprout.com. You can order the chips actually online. If you're interested in catering, you can reach out to us on our website. We have a catering tab. We ask you a few questions so we have an understanding on what your preferences are so we can cater to the best of our ability. Yeah, you can also be friends with Gita on LinkedIn under Gita Jayarama. Yes, <laughs> I am on LinkedIn. I am on Instagram, Facebook, and of course, TikTok. 
All right. Thank you so much, everyone. I really had fun with this one. I hope you learned a little bit more about food, especially as we're going into the winter. People tend to spend a lot of money on food and throw out a lot of food. So you got some ideas. But as usual, thank you so much for staying with us until the end. This is Gabby B with Clever Hybrids, and we'll see you on the next one.